0: The first grist mill in the New World was built in about 1620 at Jamestown. It was powered by wind. Single families that didn't have a mill nearby would use their hominy block. This was a log hollowed out for the grain so that it could be ground by hand with a stone. The stone was called a pestle. Different trees gave different results. Some were too soft. Maple made the meal taste bad, and the best choice was hickory. Settlers ground their corn just like Native Americans had been doing for generations. You drop a handful of corn into the log, pound it with the stone pestle, then toss the meal in the wind or fan it to remove the chaff. It was a slow process that took up a big chunk of the day. Eventually, someone developed a method to grind the grain between two flat stones, stones that could be rotated by hand, by animal power or by water wheel. James Oglethorpe planned an animal powered mill in downtown Savannah, but it didn't get enough local grain to stay in business. Eventually the population began to spread through Georgia and as land was cleared for grain for corn and later for wheat, the need for mills became obvious. Recently I had the chance to visit an authentic mill in Banks County. There are good stories in mills, and that one in particular. This is a moving through Georgia Extra mills. A mill is a large and heavily built building. It would be larger than the owner's house to accommodate all the machinery, and it would be built on beams comprised of entire tree trunks. Look under a mill and you can see the axe marks and the structure that supported a lot of weight. Obviously, there were some parts of a mill that the local miller couldn't make at home, mostly the iron parts, the gears and such, and money needed to be put away for those items, so most mills, including the one I visited, were held together with pegs. For a very long time in this country, nails were a luxury. The iron machinery could be ordered, drive shafts were cut to fit, and everything could be installed as soon as the mill was framed out. Then, they needed stones. One stone would rotate on top of the other, and channels cut into the stones, as well as their tremendous weight, would grind the corn or wheat and direct it outside. A stone could weigh up to 3,000 pounds, and sometimes needed to be removed and resurfaced. Like everything else in those times, There's an art to this. The stones needed to be the right distance from each other. Grain needed to be fed between the stones at different rates as the stones sped up or slowed down, and the stones should never actually touch. That would wear them down too fast. In production, a grindstone could turn up to 120 rotations per minute, and the sound of grinding could be heard throughout the miller's property. The land of love I'm always dreaming of somewhere beside The creaking old mill on the creek kiss... A friend of the podcast invited me to see the Ragsdale mill on a very very hot day in July. The mill was built about 1863 by Marion Ragsdale to grind corn and wheat. It sits on the Ragsdale Creek. A dam constructed of quarried rock further upstream diverts water through the property and into a flume, dropping it onto the wheel. A system of gears at the top of the wheel turns a shaft that leads into the mill and the grindstones, while another set of gears halfway down would turn a circular saw in the space beneath the mill. The family still has furniture made of wood that was milled with that particular saw. An 1896 state geological report lists water-powered mills through Georgia. For Banks County, it shows one sawmill producing 20 horsepower and 12 flour and grist mills totaling 279 horsepower. To process corn and flour, the mill would require two sets of grinding stones, and that wouldn't be an easy task. Before the war, stones could be ordered from New York State, but that wasn't going to work in Georgia in 1863. Their stones came from the Marne Valley in northern France, a site that has been for a very long time providing stones throughout Europe. Since they couldn't be shipped directly to a Confederate state, they were first sent to Bermuda, where they could be loaded onto a blockade runner and brought to Savannah. Millers were exempt from military service in the Confederacy, and in order to make the trip was issued a pass by the clerk of the Superior Court, certifying the bearer was a citizen of Banks County and should be allowed to pass unmolested. Otherwise, a man of his age who wasn't in uniform may find himself conscripted into the army. The stones were collected, brought back, and installed into the mill. Farmers brought their shucked corn to the mill, usually on rainy days when they couldn't work in their fields. The ears would go through a hand-cranked sheller and the cobs would be discarded. Hoppers were installed above the grinding wheels and the corn or the wheat moved from the hoppers into the center of the stones where it would be ground and ejected from the edges from the chaff would be everywhere, and in the summers it could be very, very hot work as the ground meal was shoveled from the floor into bags. The mill owner collected one-third of the finished product as his fee. It could be sold to a local grocery store for cash. Again, millers were an important part of their community. When Sherman led his men through Georgia, he ordered that flour mills not be destroyed, although that order wasn't always followed. Sometimes this was revenge. Northern soldiers often camped at mill sites because the ready accessibility of cornmeal made for a welcome distraction from regular army food. But often the soldiers would arrive to find the ground meal scattered into the river and the grinding mechanism buried. The mill in Ragsdale Creek operated throughout the war and longer. As late as the 1950s, there were Still, some 600 mills in Georgia actively grinding corn into cornmeal. Some still operate today for local restaurants. Getting the chance to visit some local history, guided by someone who was seriously investigating their family's past, was a great opportunity and I really appreciate it. It was a great bonus for running a podcast. If you would like to start a conversation, moving through Georgia at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. After seeing the mill, we walked up the hill to see the Mount Olivet Methodist Church built by Marion Ragsdale. Many of Ragsdale's family are buried in the yard of Mount Pleasant Methodist, but he personally split with the church and in 1863 received a license to preach. In His new church, he began to preach against slavery. The church was used regularly until the 60s, but it's still in great shape and it's still used about once a year. The sites aren't normally open to the public. That's all.